Hey, before you start today's episode, I just wanted to jump on in and tell you about something so very exciting. I am holding my first ever summit. The Rise Above Summit is going to be on the 20th and the 21st of March and the tickets to it are free. All you have to do is register at theriseabovesummit.com. Now, I have pulled together the most phenomenal lineup for you. Honestly, it's like a who's who of the online world. So if you have an online business that you want to grow, so you're either a course creator, a membership owner, or a coach and do offer group programs, then this is definitely the summit for you. You are going to learn everything you need to know from the best experts out there in terms of growing that business. Let me just give you a little rundown of some of the speakers that we've got speaking. We've got the amazing Amy Porterfield, who's going to be sharing with us about growing her audience and basically creating a million dollar online business. We've got the phenomenal Michael Hyatt, who is a New York Times bestselling author, who's going to be talking to us about getting organized in our business. We've got Mike from the Membership Guys, who's going to be talking about using free content to sell your online membership. We've got Lucy Street from Adobe Express sharing the secret source of social media. We've got Graham Cochran, who's talking about a million dollar life giving business formula. And I do an amazing interview with him. We have Adrian Salisbury talking about three keys to maximizing your own camera presence. We have Kirsten Miller, Mary Hyatt, Joy Ann Boyce. Uh, we have Fifi Mason, Robin Kennedy. We have Kylie Lang, Melanie Moore, Jen Lena, Natalie Bullen, Liz Mosley. Like the list goes on and on and on. We honestly have the most phenomenal people. We also have various different activities that you can take part in that go from meditation to tapping to doing marketing in 10 minutes. So we've got lots of fun things and there's also competitions to get amazing swag. So go and check out theriseabovesummit.com. It will be linked in the show notes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Go and find it in my social media. Get your free ticket. And after you get your free ticket, you will be given the opportunity to upgrade to our VIP pass. And our VIP pass means that you can watch any of these sessions whenever you want. Because the one thing about putting on such an amazing summit with such a big and amazing lineup is that we can't fit them all in two days. And in order to fit them in, we're doing tracks. So you will get to pick between three different speakers of which one to watch live. And unless you've got the VIP passed, you won't be able to watch the speakers that you've missed. So do check that out as well. It's honestly going to be amazing. I am so very excited about it and I can't wait to see you there. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast episode 122. You are listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast and I'm your host, Teresa Heathwaring. If you're a marketer, business owner or entrepreneur that is frustrated and overwhelmed with all the constant changes in digital marketing and social media, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Each week, I share with you easy, insightful and actionable steps that you can use to grow your business. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, how has your week been? I hope you've had a really good one. If you've been following me on Instagram, you'll see that my garden has been finished. If you're not following me on Instagram, you might think, why am I talking about my garden? Well, basically, I have had a new, I've had some 
contractors in and they have done my garden out, which is really exciting. And I've been putting it on Instagram and I got so much interaction. It was wonderful. So I've been sharing the updates on there and it was finished uh, as I'm recording this. So a few days ago from the, by the time you get to listen to this. So yeah, it's exciting stuff. So that's what I've been doing with my time. So I hope you've had a good week. Anyway, this week we have a great interview for you. Now, you will know, because I've said it before, that one of my favourite books out there for marketing is a book called They Ask, You Answer by Marcus Sheridan. And I was so very lucky to be given some of Marcus's time in order to bring him onto the podcast to talk about how this came about, why it's so important, and how we can use it in our businesses going forward every day. But honestly, if you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it because it gives you some really interesting ideas on the importance of content creation. And you know I go on about that all the time, but also about the types of things you want to address in your content creation. So I really recommend that you go and buy that book. It's a really good one. I'll link to it in the show notes. But let me tell you a little bit about Marcus. So Marcus is a sought-after international keynote speaker and is known for his unique ability to excite, engage, and motivate audiences. In 2017, Forbes named Marcus one of 20 speakers you don't want to miss and has been dubbed the web marketing guru by New York Times and featured in Inc., The Globe, Mail, Forbes, and more. As the founder and president of The Sales Lion, which recently merged with Impact in 2018, Marcus has established one of the most successful digital sales and marketing agencies in the country. Within his speaking company, Marcus Sheridan International Inc., he gives over 70 global keynotes annually. Well, he probably did before uh, lockdown happened. And Mashable rated his book, They Ask, You Answer, as the number one marketing book to read in 2017. Forbes has listed it as 11 marketing books that every CMO should read. So honestly, this guy wrote a book that kind of changed how we viewed content marketing. And I am so very honoured to be able to bring him to you to the podcast and be today's interview. So I hope you enjoy. Okay, I am really, really excited to welcome today's guest to the podcast. Marcus Sheridan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Teresa, it's a pleasure to be here and hopefully uh, we'll have a fruitful conversation for our listeners today. So I'm excited about it. I am really excited about it because I think my listeners know I listen and read books all the time and I, I always get something from them, but you know, when like you just devour a book and go, yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, that's what <laughs> I right. did for like the entire thing. So to get you on to talk about it is just brilliant. But before we do, can you just give a little bit of an overview for my listeners in case they haven't heard from you before, uh, just kind of who you are and how you got to do what you're doing today? Well, I started actually um, right out of university as a pool guy, um, believe it or not. I fell into a business in 2001 with two friends and uh, didn't, didn't ever think I was going to sell swimming pools, but that's just how it ended up after, after uh, school. And um, things were going okay until 2008. 2008, when the market crashed, it, it looked like we were going to lose our business. And um, I talked to three consultants at that time. They all said the same thing. You should file bankruptcy, Marcus. The issue, though, was if I had done that, I would have lost my home. My two business partners lost their homes. Mm -hmm. My 16 employees at the time lost their jobs. So we had to figure out how to really get back over that edge. We didn't have much money. We didn't have, uh, we didn't have any money. We didn't have any time for the most part. 
And um, it was a really, really scary time in my life. But it was during this period of time where I, I just essentially dove into all the stuff that you and I today know as inbound marketing, content marketing, mm-hmm. social media. And for me, really, it started at HubSpot's site. And that's yeah. where it, it started to click for me. And, you know, what I heard in my simple, just like pool guy mind was, you know what, Marcus, if you just obsess over your customers' questions and you're willing to address them honestly and transparently, you might save your business. And so that's what we did. I brainstormed every single question I had ever received from a, from a customer about pools. And I said, I'm going to write an answer in an article or video format once a day until, until I stop, right? And to make a long story short, we ended up becoming what is essentially like the Wikipedia of, of in-ground swimming pools here in the U.S. And today it's the most traffic swimming pool website in the world. And we went on to have, we were having so much success in terms of lead generation that um, and our, our brand became so national in, in many ways that we started manufacturing fiberglass pool shells as well. So today we have fiberglass uh, or river pools dealers, franchisees now, because it's a franchise now, all over the country. We have dealers everywhere. We're the fastest growing manufacturer in the U.S. And so that, that's been one you know, major section of my life. And it's all because of the crash of 2008. On the other side of that, because of what was happening, I started to write about it personally. Like, mm-hmm. hey, here's some things that I'm doing. These are working pretty cool. I figured like everybody should know this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it uh, turns out that I was doing stuff that just people hadn't done. And, but they were like obvious to me, like this philosophy that they ask you answer led me to, that, that was our mindset. I was like, I'm going to ask every, answer every question. But mm. if you actually lean into that, you're doing stuff that's innovative as all get out. And so um, I started writing about it. And then suddenly, you know, I had events say, could you, could you share that at our event? And somebody would say, could you teach me how to do that? And so that lets you demand to build out a consulting company which has today become Impact, which is a almost 70-person firm in the U.S., digital sales and marketing. And uh, so I have that and a couple partners there. And then I have a speaking company. And, and that's really what I do full-time when we're not mm-hmm. suffering from pandemics. And yeah. <laughs> so, so I, um, I've given about 60, 70 keynotes a year, um, really just all over the world the last uh, seven, eight years, something like that now. And uh, it's really been amazing. It's been the most amazing ride, but all because of the crash of 2008. I mean, that story is phenomenal in so many ways that first off, you said you went into it straight from university. Mm. So because when you read the book, it almost feels like it was such a long time ago. It almost feels like, you know, that you must be double the age you are because it feels like so much happened. So the fact yeah. that you went straight into a business from university is kind of one thing, because that is a big, scary thing to do. Like, was that always your intention? Did you always know? I'm no, gonna and I certainly didn't know I was going to be a pool guy, right? Nobody grows up saying, I want to be a pool guy, right? Yeah, I, don't yeah, th- yeah. I think that's, that's, that's extremely rare. Um, what happened was, is, is, believe it or not, my two friends had started this company, and they had just signed a lease for a retail outlet where they could sell hot tubs and stuff. And I had graduated from university and was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And they said, Hey, we've got this thing. And I'm like, okay, I don't really want to do that. Mm. Uh, Cause again, who wants to be a pool guy? Right. 
And uh, this was what was on my mind at the time. And I didn't realize that titles are actually quite overrated. And yep. <laughs> but that that um, you can, it's not about the, so much the type of business that dictates your happiness. It is more of what can I do to make this special? Mm-hmm. I, I want to grow something, right? So that's what I realized is I just wanted to grow something. But I didn't know that. They, they had asked, I was their first employee. They asked me, six months mm-hmm. in to be a partner. So that's how we were the first yeah. three essentially. And, but I became a partner because I obsessed over learning about the stuff that I was selling. I'm like, well, I'm here, I'm going to learn about it. Yeah. So quickly I learned more. I knew more about hot tubs than they did in terms of uh, information, you know, and I just, yeah. just dove into it like I do with most stuff and, and they were impressed and they wanted me to be a partner. And so that's how that happened. But um and and I didn't have any business schooling or anything like that. And you know yeah. what? I, th- I think one of the things I'm most grateful for is I didn't have any mm. marketing schooling. I think marketing, especially in universities, screws mm. people up big time. Not everybody. There's exceptions to this. But because it's moving so fast, mm. I have never seen a university student um, read the book before, and I've had a bunch read the book because I've had, I, you know, because thank, thank goodness, like I've now have, um, I have now had professors find the book and start teaching it, and that's yeah, happening more brilliant. commonly. But the ones that ha- didn't have it in class, they're like, I was never taught any of this stuff, and they're not. They, they it's just not being taught. It's really unfortunate because yeah. I think if you look at the theme of the book, which is be the best teacher in the world, lean into transparency, be willing to think like a buyer and adjust to what your buyers want in terms of the way that you say it and teach it and sell it. Like that should be common sense, right? But it's very uncommon. So. <laughs> and that's the thing. And that's what's interesting that, like you said, A, you haven't come from a marketing background. So for me, being in marketing, having a degree in marketing, which I totally agree with you, and I openly tell the world that what I sat in university for three years and learned is nowhere near what I do today. And to be fair, it it wasn't the case the minute I left university. It was a very different world. But it's the sheer fact that I've kept up with the speed of Mm -hmm. change and embraced everything and never sat there and thought, I know all this, hence why I read all the time. So I think the fact that you hadn't come from marketing and yet you picked up on a concept that as a marketer is very hard to sell to businesses. So as a marketer who can look at this, look at this concept and see how amazing it is and what it could do to try and then go into a company and go, this is what you should do. They're very resistant to it because there's lots of things that probably come up for them. So for you to sit there and think, do you know what? this is a really good idea and just effectively come up with it yourself, effectively just go, how could this benefit the business? And then just go and do it without coming from that background, I just think is absolutely insightful. Well, you know, I think what's fascinating to me is over the course of um, talking about this stuff, you know, over 10 years now, the number one email that I've received from readers and listeners and audience members you would think would be, hey, Marcus, I'm a business and I need more traffic leads and sales. That's actually number two. Number one is from marketers who are frustrated in their organization and they're ready to leave because they feel like they catch a vision, but their cohorts, their peers, the sales manager or the leadership team doesn't catch the vision. And so because of that, they want to leave. 
that's the number one email that I've received. And I, I probably get a couple a week. It's, it's really fascinating. So why is that happening? I think there's a few different reasons why this is happening. But ultimately, I really do, for the most part, blame marketers. And the reason for that is I think we as marketers talk like marketers. And it's not until you learn to talk the language of sales and the language of leadership that you really start to get the ear of everybody else that you need to win within the organization. And that's, that's again, this goes back to like the way universities can can mess us up. Again, there's exceptions. But, you know, the reason why they ask you answer has just done so well as a book is because it wasn't written for marketers and it wasn't, it doesn't have marketing speak, like marketing lingo in it, right? So in other words, no, no business owner, I shouldn't say no, but very few get really pumped about content, right? They don't, they certainly don't get pumped about marketing. Yeah. Uh, what they get pumped about is if you say things like, so if you had a choice, would you like to be the most trusted voice in your space? Like when anybody thinks of a question, they think of a need that they think your company name. Would you like that as a business owner? Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to say yes. Yeah. I go to a business, business owner and I say to them, so do you think teaching, like really teaching, really addressing your customers' questions, needs, worries, concerns, do you think that's going to be fundamental to your business in 20 years? Every single one is going to say, oh, absolutely. But if I said to them, so do you think content marketing is going to be fundamental to your business in 20 years? I'm going to be like, you know, you're going to get this whole array of answers. Yeah. And so that's, that's part of, of the problem. So in, when I teach or speak, I literally obsess over using as little marketing-isms mm. as possible. And one other thing I'll say about this, I learned a long time ago that if you want to get something approved in business, you call it a sales initiative. And okay. if you want to get it rejected or tabled for later, you call it marketing. <laughs> that is such a good point. And when I think back to years ago, when I used to work in corporate world, I was did mm-hmm. marketing for Land Rover and we wouldn't, you know, you'd barely be near the sales team. Whereas now when you think yes. about how it should be, it's like, how on earth did we do our jobs when we literally had no contact with the customer or very little contact with the customer? How did we even know what to say or do or how to connect to them and how the world is now and how all of that is almost like mashed into one and and needs to all come from the same common place, which is serving the customer and listening to the customer and hearing what they've got to say. Yeah, I, so I think this is a really good point. I, I Some of the most um, you know, progressive companies that I've worked with when it comes to business mindset, they're, they've They've literally said, so we have a revenue team that consists of sales and marketing, mm. right, individuals. And if you look, too, at the way the buyers changed and so much of the, of the sale happens before they even, yeah. like, you know them as a company, before yeah. the first handshake, et cetera, then we have to make major adjustments for this whole, the 70% of the buy decision is made before they actually talk mm-hmm. to the company thing. So as part of that, I think the two responsibilities have to be viewed as this. Sales teams have to say, we are very responsible for the marketing side of the business. We are responsible to be subject matter experts. We are responsible to make sure that 
during that 70% when they're engaging us, but we don't know it, when they're vetting us digitally, we don't know it, mm-hmm. that they get everything that they could possibly want to know. They could find everything they could possibly want to know. That Nothing slows them down. There's no friction. We're not holding back on them. That's sales job because they're the ones that have their ear to the ground, right? They're the mm-hmm. ones that have heard all the yeah, questions. Yeah. They're supposed to be the best subject matter experts. And then marketing's job though now has to evolve too. They can't be like they always were and, 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 and you know, be in the land of fuddy-duddy. They have to be responsible for revenue mm. for a certain element of revenue. Not all the revenue, but they have to. Mm. And, you know, marketers are notoriously underpaid. The reason why they're underpaid is because they don't show revenue. The mm. moment you start showing revenue, you get raised this. Yeah. You just do. Yeah. But if you don't show revenue, you can't expect for a CFO to come in and say, you know what, you've just been doing a great job. Yeah. Your campaigns are just so beautiful. You know, your impressions are really great and wonderful. <laughs> so you don't get raises off of impressions. No, That's not no. how it works, people. You tie revenue back to campaigns. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you win, right? And so this is the, the other thing about the book is like, you notice in the book, I, I consistently say things like, so, you know, you should talk about cost and price on your website. And we did this mm-hmm. one time. And here's how we did it. And here's the piece of content. And it generated over, you know, now to that, I think yeah. like 10 million in sales or some stupid number now. But I always put a number in the book, mm-hmm. a revenue number with an action. That was really, really important because again, it was written for the C-suite, for the ones that are obsessing about revenue. And although that might not sound idealistic or mm-hmm. romantic, it's reality. And we have to speak in terms of realities because even the best of intentions for marketing teams, the best intentioned campaigns, whatever you want to call them, eventually a CFO is going to walk into somebody's office one day or whoever's responsible for money. And they're going to say, so show me how this is really helping us make money. This has really been the last, if we look at the last two months, you're not seeing companies do fluffy campaigns all of a sudden. There's no, let's just improve the world campaigns Mm -hmm. with our, you know, let's, let's just be nicer to everybody. That's all wonderful. Mm. But in times like this, look what's happened. Fluffy content has been just, it, they, they turn it off. It's the first yeah. thing to go. But they're mm. not turning off the person that's showing rev after rev after rev next to their name because of the content they produced or the campaigns that they ran. That's the person that doesn't get cut or slashed mm. or furloughed. Mm. And you're so right in terms of, Uh, one of the things you address in the book is actually bringing on a full-time content person and to try and justify that without those figures. You know, you, you basically, like you said, all the way through the book, you've said, we did this, it made this, we did this, it made this. So let me just take you back one second to the the beginning of the story when you said that you just started writing every single day, like as a content producer, as a you know, person who has a podcast, I don't write, I, I have the podcast, just doing it once a week. It's like, you know, it's a lot of work. Producing content is no small feat. This is not a two second job. Like, I, I just want to know your mindset in terms of doing that. And at that point, I'm guessing you had no idea that this was going to end in the results it ended in. So <laughs> no. how did you do it? Like, how did you motivate yourself to get that done? So the honest answer to where it started was I just got the impression that I should. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just made sense to me. And I said, well, this is how I'm learning. This is the stuff that I would want to know. 
So of course I should talk about it and don't overcomplicate it, Marcus, right? And so I literally at that time, I went to my wife. And normally back in this period, we'd go to bed around 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m. at night. And I went to her one night and I said, so here's the thing. I'm going to lose the business, as you know. Um, I got to do, I got to work some miracles. I need to produce content. I don't want to do it while all the kids are awake. So I want to do it when you go to bed. So we can't go to bed together anymore at the same time. And um, she said, oh, okay. If that's what you feel is necessary. And the comment she's made before, which I find is really fascinating she said, I'll never forget those couple years where I would be in bed, falling asleep, and I could hear in the kitchen, on the kitchen table, the sound of the keys slapping the keyboard. And she knew that was, of course, me in there. And that's the, that's the part that nobody really fully understands, right? But at the same time, I didn't, my whole approach to almost everything is, let's not overcomplicate this, right? So, they ask you to answer most simple strategy ever. And the writing for me was simple too, because I said, look, I, I've been asked all these questions in the home every day, almost every single sales appointment that I've gone on. So, and I've gone on hundreds at this point, so just freaking answer the question, Marcus, don't overcomplicate this matter. Like you, like you're talking to somebody in the home, like you're sitting with them mm-hmm. at their kitchen table. And so that's really what I did. It wasn't light answers, though. I mean, I really gave the meat and the potatoes, as as mm. we've learned, is the best way to do it in terms, certainly in terms of search, in terms of UX. And um, so, I just wanted to do one a night, mm. and I, you know, I got to the point where thirty to forty-five minutes later, I was done. You know, and but at first, it was slow, man. I was mm. really, really slow at first. It was drudgery a bit, but and you would have said you're not a good writer. Today, people mm-hmm. are like, you're a really natural writer, Marcus. Like, that's amazing yeah. what happened after I you produced that. <laughs> 50,000 words. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. that's, just how, that's just that's how it goes. And of course, it's the same thing with video. It's the same thing with anything else yeah. in life. And so, so that's, that's the way literally that it went for mm-hmm. me for those um, couple of years. I knew I was onto something within six months. Like six months, I could see a clear jump in traffic. I yeah. clearly saw leads that were coming in that didn't come in before. And I was getting really unique comments from people. Like stuff like they would call and say, I just want to thank you. Finally, somebody addressed that question. Like mm-hmm. nobody, I just like, I'm so frustrated because I've been trying to research and nobody's bothered to talk about these things. And you guys are the only ones. Or I feel like I've everything I've learned about pools, I've learned from you guys, mm-hmm. right? And that's just where it was. And as funny, Teresa, I can't even install like me. I cannot install a pool. I'm not mm-hmm. a pool expert, but I can ask questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I can explain stuff, but I can't do it. I can't physically do it. Doing the thing, the capabilities to do it is very, very overrated, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know what they say, if you can't do it, teach it. Yeah. It's like, if you can do it, you know, I couldn't install a pool. I can't turn on the equipment. I can't shoot a grade. I can't do a lot of the things that you would need to do. I can't run the plumbing, yeah. but I can, I can absolutely teach about it. And I can ask somebody and then turn that into words that somebody else would understand. And that's what made it, that's what made it so special. And, you know, by the time I was, you know, by, I guess it was by 2011, probably. So two years in, 
we were just, we dominated the industry. Everybody was afraid of us in terms of big manufacturers. Um, they still are to this day because now we're manufacturing ourselves and we're blowing up. And, and yeah. so we have had many, um, we've had companies approach us because this is, we're just the, we're now the snowball rolling down the hill mm. and you can't stop it at this point. No. Just the momentum is so unbelievable. That's the beauty behind this. You do it the right way. Mm. It creates something that's really built to last. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's about the uh, consistency and the content that's out there that once it's out there and once it's caught and once people are looking at it, it doesn't stop. It's not going to, you know, the hundred and something episodes I've already done are not like, oh, well, we'll throw them in the bin now. They're there. And when someone finds me, they go back and listen, you know. And the other thing I loved what you said is, well, one, not overcomplicating things and two, talking to them. Now, I've had conversation after conversation with so many different business owners where we've talked about content in general, you know, whether it be writing a blog or doing a video. And I was talking to a real estate agent and I was like, what about doing a live video showing someone around a house? And he's like, oh, no, 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 no. And I was like, but don't you do that every single day? And I said, so treat the camera as if it's someone you're talking to. And I talk about this with social media. People write for, for the internet. Well, it's not the internet reading it. There's a human on the end of that. And like you said, with genuine questions, with genuine, you know, concerns or thoughts. So let's just touch on that. The, the power of answering those questions. And what I really particularly like is answering the questions that no one wants to answer Mm -hmm. or the questions that if someone asks you in person, you'll say, but you'd never have the guts to do it in, in, you know, in a public forum. So just touch on that, because that's obviously a big thing in the book in terms of picking those things that people want to know. Yeah. So, you know, companies come to me all the time and say, Marcus, we're not getting momentum with our content strategy. Why? It's, um, almost 99% of the time, it's the exact same reason, is because they're not focused on the questions that buyers really want to know. Now, mm-hmm. in the book, there's five main subjects that we talk about that buyers are obsessed with, that buyers, you and me, B2B, B2C, service product, it doesn't matter. Matter. Buyers want to know these things before they engage a company, before they contact the company, before they walk into the company's doors, whatever that thing is. The five subjects that we all research prolifically online are as follows. We want to know, generally speaking, all about cost and price. Mm-hmm. We want to know problems or negatives. In other words, so if I make this purchase, how could it blow up in my face? What could go wrong if I make this choice? Right. This is why we tend to search for things like negative reviews. Right. It's mm-hmm. Because we want to know what are the issues with the particular thing or problems with. We want to know comparisons. We love to compare. We like to mm-hmm. compare because we like to stack things up against each other because it helps us to feel like we vetted thoroughly enough to make a buying decision. It helps mitigate, you know, the risk that we sense. Mm-hmm. We love to know what everybody else says about stuff too, i.e. reviews or ratings. We're obsessed with those. And then finally, we love to know what the best thing is. We love researching best. If you're listening to this, think of how many times have you researched just online and Google best such and such in a search. Mm-hmm. Prolifically. So those are the big five, cost, problems, reviews versus best. Those are the five. Now, if you took, let's say, the traditional buyer's funnel that we've all heard about a million times in different talks and articles, and you aligned those subjects with a section of the funnel, middle, top, or bottom, 
here's what you'd find. Those questions are at the bottom portion of the funnel. The mistake that most companies make with their content is they either talk about and answer subjects and questions that are not even in the funnel mm-hmm. or they're top of funnel. You always start at the bottom and you work your way out, not at the top and slow, slowly work your way in, mm-hmm. which again is what most companies do. And here's the limits test to how you know if something is really bottom of the funnel. Does your sales team get the question all the time? Okay. Mm. So if your sales team constantly hears, so how much is it, which 100% of them do, that's a bottom of the funnel question. If your sales team hears all the time, so tell me how would that product or that service compared to this other one that that I heard about? It's again, bottom Mm. of the funnel. It's a real buyer. They're serious, right? Mm. If a salesperson hears, somebody told me that this one had a particular issue. Is that true? What's your take on that? Once again, Mm. This is a serious buyer because guess what? We don't want to know what's wrong with something if we're not interested in buying it. Yeah. Once we're interested in buying it, then we want to pick it apart, right? This is how it works. When we're going to invest in something, that's when we try to punch holes in it. Mm. And so these big five, that's the freaking market all day long. It runs Mm. our economy. It runs search. And most companies still to this day don't talk about these five things. Mm. Now, whenever somebody approaches me, a company, and they say, okay, we want to do content, that's what I look for first. On average, 10% of the content that companies produce aligns with those five things, all right, 10%, Mm. where it should be is 75% or higher. So like if you're listening to this right now, here's the things that you should be thinking. Okay, what percentage of my content would the sales team say, yep, I could absolutely integrate that in my sales appointment right now? Would they want to mm-hmm. use it? Would it address a major question they deal with all the time? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, you just wasted everybody's time, effort, energy, and money 99% of the time, okay? The other yeah. thing is, you know, ask, ask yourself, what percentage of my content deals with these five major subjects? If it's not 75%, once again, you're wasting a tremendous amount of time. You're probably never going to get a raise like you should because you're not going to be able to show revenue. These are the things that lead to revenue, and that's what's going to make you a very valuable, valuable person on your team. This is why so many people that have done the Ask You Answer that started off as like a content person on the team eventually became like literally a CMO of their company because they became just this linchpin of revenue that you know they could track back to it and say, the sales team loves this person, right? Because they're like, they're helping sales so much, and, and they have like just completely revolutionized the amount of mm. traffic leads and sales the company's getting at the digital level, right? So this is what's mm. possible, but still, to this day, most companies don't do it, which is great for me because it means <laughs> I've got a, I got a long runway of trying to teach yeah. people what transparency really looks like. <laughs> and do you, think, do you think the reason why they're not doing it is down to the fact of a bravery thing or a concern thing or you know, or is it just a lack of knowledge? Because we tend to see them putting out the content that they want to put out, that Mm -hmm. they want to tell you how brilliant something is, or they want to demonstrate something without even the thought that the the customer actually, that isn't what's on their mind right now. So why do you think they're not There's a number one reason by far. There's one primary reason. The biggest reason why we don't talk about these things is because none of our competitors have. That's Mm. the number one reason. Because let me tell you, as soon as a chip falls and one of your competitors does it, all heck, all heck breaks loose. And then all of a sudden, that's when you see, you know, a bunch of 
leadership team members around the boardroom table saying, oh, gee, did you see what they just did? Did you see what yeah. they They can't say that. They can't do that. Yeah. What the heck is going on here? Who, who, what gives them the right to say that or to answer that? Mm-hmm. Do you know how many times I had a manufacturer of fiberglass pools who were the, when I say manufacturer, think like I was a, look at it like I was like a, a, a Volvo dealership or a Ford yeah. dealership. And this is Volvo and Ford were coming to me saying, you can't, you can't say these things. You're, you're not the leader of the space. We are the leader of the space. Well, that's what was happening with fiberglass pools. And they would say to me, what gives you the right to say that? And I would say, what gives me the right to say it is the fact that I said it. Yeah. That's the beauty of the thing that we call the internet. Yeah. And this is why Digital Davids constantly slay Goliaths online. And really, River Pools is one of the great original digital Davids of this space because we could be fast, nimble, quick. We didn't have mm-hmm. to follow the stinking rules that everybody had falsely created within their industry of the do's and the don't, the silent can and can'ts, which are just ridiculous. And they don't align with what buyers really want. And what's funny is you can still, I mean, I do it all the time. I go to a CEO and I'd say, so if you were a customer... If you're in a buying experience, you're shopping a service or a product, B2B or B2C, would you want to understand pricing really well before you engage the company? Of course I would. Would you appreciate it if the company taught you all about pricing and the marketplace and what drives costs up and down? Of course I would. Okay. Do you do this with your customers? Well, no, Marcus, because you don't understand. Our industry is different, which is the biggest pile of BS in the history of the world. It's just not true. It's not true. You know, the the industries, better stated, the people, the companies that sit there and, and wallow in this, but we're different and you don't understand mindset, mm-hmm. they're the ones that are constantly being left behind. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that everybody's got differentiators, but that doesn't make you special. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't exclude you from every law of psychology that has been around since the beginning of Earth, mm-hmm. right? Teaching equates to trust, right? Trust equates to sales. Mm. There's, no, there's no science behind this. It's undeniable, right? And this is also why when I'm, when I'm having a, let's say I go meet with an audience, right? Yeah. I know a lot of those people in that room, I'm going to take them from a place of like clearly not wanting to talk about these things. And by the end, they're going to want to talk about it. But mm. I have to establish a commonality at the beginning of the conversation, and so the commonality that I establish is goes back to trust, right? And I say this is not a conversation about marketing. It's not a conversation about sales. And is trust going to be paramount to your success in twenty years? Everybody always says yes. Is trust fundamental to your business right now? Everybody says yes. If I could show you how to become the most trusted voice in your space, would you want to know how? Everybody says, well, yes. And then we start the conversation. Yeah. And that's the key, right? Because you got to start at that place that everybody agrees. Yeah. Then later on, when they want to say we're different, but they, but which leads yeah. to more trust? Yeah, you're right, Marcus. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> Do you think maybe some people are scared to be honest in case they lose their customers or someone won't come and buy from them? Whereas for me, the way I take this, so if someone comes to me and says, 
why should I join your online academy? Why should I take part in this? It's like, okay, these are the reasons you should. But if you're looking for X, Y, Z, this is not for you. Right. And the way, the way I think about the honesty and the transparency is I don't want to put myself in a position where someone is expecting something from me that I'm not going to deliver because all that's going to do is cause some really horribleness between me and them. So in being completely transparent and open and honest about what I do, who I do it for, what results they can expect from it, what it costs. It just means that we're putting all our cards on the table. You know what you're going to get. I know you know what you're going to get. You're not going to expect too much or not enough. Or, and, and it just makes that whole conversation so much easier. Is, do you think they just don't see that? Do you think that's like, you know? Yeah. The thing that I like to say is the happiest day in the life of the business is not when they figure out who they are, but it's when they rather figure out what they're not. Because yeah. when you know what you're not, that's when you know who you don't want to sell to and what products and services you don't want to offer. Because the things that you don't want to do or don't want to sell to or don't want to sell, those are the things that fundamentally cause us the most headaches, mm-hmm. right? And we sell them because we need the money. But mm-hmm. then after we sell them, we regret it yeah. because we say it just wasn't worth it, right? And so when we release that, then we can lean into that which we are and we know it. And it's so very, very powerful. And you mentioned also that we're afraid we're going to lose the customer. But what's funny about that is, like if I said to, uh, let me give an example here. And if you're listening to this, look at it from a psychological level, not from a, yeah, but it's not the same thing. Because again, it's all psychology. It's all trust. Mm -hmm. So if I said to you, all right, let's say that you want to go to a new restaurant tonight. You've never been to that restaurant before. You're going to take a loved one. You want it to be a great experience. So in order to make sure it's a great experience or it's going to be a great experience, other than make a reservation, there's a good chance you're going to do two things before you go to the restaurant. What are the two things you're going to do? Most people are going to say, I'm going to read the reviews and I'm going to go online and look at their menu. That's what most yeah. people say. Okay. It's like 99% of people. Now here's where it gets interesting. If you go to the menu on their website and there is no pricing, are you still going to go to that restaurant? Now what's really fascinating is we have found in that moment over 80% of all people will not go. And it's not because they can't afford it, but it's because the moment they left it blank, they planted a seed of doubt. And when seeds of doubt exist, inertia occurs. Mm -hmm. This is the same reason why, I'll give you another hypothetical. It's the same reason why most of us listening to this right now, I've gone on a shopping cart page before. We've, We've we're ready to grab our credit card. We're ready to essentially enter the information, but we notice that there's a coupon code on that page. And as soon as we see the coupon code, we're like, huh, I don't have a coupon code. And then what do we do? Oftentimes we go look for it. Yeah. Well, now, here's what's really interesting. This is where it gets really fascinating. When we don't find it, based on the studies that I've done, over half of the people will not now buy it. Now, a second ago, they were going to go buy. They were like, mm-hmm. they were moving forward. This is why coupon codes hurt conversion rates on shopping cart pages. Mm-hmm. And people are like, Sama Gun, I've never thought about it until now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that is the psychology of the way that we think. That is amazing. And it's so right. It's exactly what I do. I'll go and search something because, like you said, it puts that seed of doubt. And I think. In the online world, more than anything, we we look 
we're trying to protect ourselves. We're trying to make sure that we're not fleeced, that we're not wasting our money, that we're not being made a fool of, that we're not getting into something that is not what we expect. And at any single point, and when I talk about funnels and processes and, and the more kind of the online bitness of it, you know, it's like you need to be transparent and open and consistent because at any point, anything that doesn't sit right, anything that makes me feel a bit like, well, oh, hang on a minute. There it is. I'm See off. Down. I'm See gone. Down. Every time. You know, I love it. Every single time. Now, somebody listening to this might say, well, Marcus, you just don't understand because like, for example, I can't talk about my pricing because I'm a manufacturer or I'm a supplier and somebody else. I'm not, I'm not selling to the end user. All of that is honestly a terrible excuse because let me give you an example. I'm a manufacturer of fiberglass pools. I know that everybody wants to know how much it costs. So how can I find a happy medium there? There's many things that I can do. Number one, I've got lots of articles and videos on my site that teach people about what to expect when buying a pool. Here's the thing. Most people haven't had practice buying pools, right? So that's why, like, Teresa, if I said to you or most people, how much do you think the in-ground pool costs to install? Most people, if we're talking U.S. dollars, they're going to say, I don't know, around 30000 No, no. It's more like, on average, about 75000 USD. That's mm-hmm. average. So most people are like, I had no idea. Well, why do they have no idea? It's because... Mm-hmm. They weren't taught. No, you don't learn this in university. And so every buyer starts off in an ignorant place for the most part. And furthermore, even the ones that are informed or at least think they're informed, oftentimes they have preconceived notions and therefore don't fully understand why things are priced the way that they're priced. So the most important part of when companies discuss pricing isn't what you cost. Mm -hmm. It's helping me understand the marketplace in general. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you're selling a course online, what's not as important at first is explaining what you charge. It's So as you research courses online for this particular subject, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find some courses that are going to be in this range, some that are going to be in this range, some that are going to be in this range. Now here's oftentimes the differences between those ranges. Here's what you can expect. Here's why some companies are expensive. Here's why some companies are cheap. But you're really helping me understand, okay, now yeah. I understand. Now, once you've done that, then you can explain what you charge. Mm-hmm. Now, some people say, well, how specific do I have to be? Well, you can be as specific as you want, but I will tell you this. We find that the more specific companies are, and talking about cost and price, the better the results become. In other words, the more leads they get mm-hmm. and the more qualified the leads are. Yeah. And so they lean into it more, not less. This is why for anybody that has like stuff that can be built and so you might say, well, our stuff is very project-based. And so therefore, you know, it could cost as little as this, and as much as this, Marcus. Yeah. So you want me to put a big old fat $100,000 or $100,000 pound range? Like, okay, what you can do is explain what dictates those ranges, what they could expect, and then also you could build calculators to help me understand. So as a manufacturer who is selling to dealers, but also selling to the end user, so we're a B2B to C, which is actually what 
many of these companies are. They're not a straight yeah. B2B. They're B2B to C. Well, then like that, you can go on the River Pools website right now. And if you're listening to this, go riverpoolsandspas.com. Okay, riverpoolsandspas.com. Just go there and you can price your pool. You can, and you'll go through the whole process of selecting your options. We'll teach you along the way. And then we're going to give you a range at the end. Why? Because there are hidden costs. But I at least want to give you more than everybody else is willing to give you. I'm going to say to you, okay, that's going to be between sixty dollars and $80,000. But that is going to make you say, I just love the fact that they at least gave me a feel yeah. for this. I respect that. And like you said, by the time they come to you, if they know what the cost is and they are still coming to you saying, okay, now I want more information. Now I'm slam dunk. Exactly. Because... If someone goes to that price and goes, oh, way out of my range, or actually that was not what I expected. And weirdly, just the other day, my husband and I were searching, we're having our garden done. Well, not at the moment because it's lockdown, but when lockdown's over, and we have changed our mind from having a raised bed to potentially having a hot tub, which is a way okay. more exciting yeah. than a raised bed. Um, yeah. So of course, what's the first thing we do? Like, I genuinely have never bought a hot tub. I have no idea yeah. what it is. What's the, so, of course, he starts researching. He uh, he ha- does stuff electrical, so he can do a certain element and he knows he needs yep. certain things. So he's doing that and I'm researching the cost and what it might look like and how you might house it. And Because like you said, it's a, I need to know that information. And I did exactly the same thing. I went on one site, it gave me prices. I was like, great. Another site, nothing. And nothing. I immediately went, mm, gone, bye, and see you later. Of course, what are they saying? Call for price call for quote, which yeah. is is basically them giving you the middle finger and yeah. saying, we're just really not that interested in being very honest with you right now. Yeah. I, you know, it's what you just stated, that is today's buyer, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing about a hot tub, right? You take a hot tub of a spa, you're going to be, at least for US dollars, you're going to be anywhere between four to $15,000. That's mm-hmm. where you're going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. And so there's, that's a huge range. Mm-hmm. So what what constitutes that range? Exactly. How are you supposed to know what defines value? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, like, and, and the mistake that a lot of companies make too is, you know, one of the things that I've been talking about, and I, and I deal a lot with, with hot tub manufacturers. I've got a few different clients in that space. And, mm-hmm. you know, they're like many others. And they're a B2B to C because they're building it. They have dealers all over the world. And then yeah. they have an end user. But what these people want to do is they want you to grab their hand and they want to understand, what do I need to know as I'm making this decision, right? So in a perfect world, you could go, and I, my guess is you haven't experienced this yet, Teresa, but this is something I'm working on with some of the manufacturers, and this is very the ask you answer, mm-hmm. that you go to the site, and it says something like to the effect, never bought a hot tub, start here, right? Yeah. And then it asks you a series of if-then questions. Like, for example, it would say, so which of the following are you most interested in with your hot tub? You know, and it could be a play area for the family. It could be hydrotherapy, right? It could be um, intimacy um, with my you know, spouse or loved one, whatever that thing is, right? And so based on the series of questions, that allows the manufacturer in this case to, at the end of that, recommend to you a particular model. Now, the thing is, who took yourself – who led that sales process. You led that sales process. And at the end of that, now you've got a model. You already know what you want based on the fact that they took you through the sales process they would have taken Mm -hmm. you through if you went to the showroom. You see, this is the huge mistake that a lot of companies, a lot of retailers are making right now is they're saying, 
well, I want to save the sales experience for when we talk face-to-face. That is death in 2020 Mm. and beyond. Let that freaking go. Let that go. Virtual selling is fundamental. Mm. And that's why self-selection tools and choose-your-own-adventure tools on your website are essential. And they're very much a part of this whole They Ask You Answer. Because part of They Ask You Answer isn't just the questions they're asking. It's, I really like it if. I wish I could do this as a buyer. Well, Mm. could you just design and build your hot tub based on a series of questions Mm. and then be able to price it accordingly and be able to see the different ranges? Yeah, you can do that on my swim pool site, right? Yeah. And if I was a hot tub manufacturer, you better stink and believe I would have that. Yeah. As a dealer, I would not, I'd have that. And as a dealer, I wouldn't wait on the manufacturer to do that for me because mm-hmm. they're, again, the Goliaths and they're slow. Sometimes you see these small businesses, they're waiting for someone that they buy from to create awesome stuff. You want to be a mover and a shaker in your space? Do not wait for your vendors. You do not wait for providers. You mm-hmm. address what the buyer in the marketplace wants. Then you become a linchpin. You become an influencer. So much of this stupid influencer marketing you hear about is by people that are, quote, celebrities. Now, the best influencers are the ones that are willing to talk about stuff that nobody Mm. else is willing to address in that marketplace or at least show it in a way that nobody else has has, understood or figured to show it like the, yeah. the calculators and all those other self-selection yeah. tools that's possible on websites today. And like you said, even if, and obviously my first look at it, I am not going to check out and go, yeah, I'm buying that right now. But the point is, if someone has been helpful and supported me and and has answered my questions and is giving me options and giving me knowledge, I'm obviously going to take that. And then the next time I'm going to go, what was that site again? And I'm going to go back to that site. And then I might email them and then I might do something else but it leaves you in a good place. Whereas that other site who obviously I now can't remember who it was. I literally went to it, no information, no help, no nothing. See you later. You can have the best hot tubs in the world, but I'm not buying one from you. Because- and they're still living in a la-la land that, you're, that your primary goal is to come to the showroom. Yeah. And especially post-COVID-19, mm. what, these, what these retailers should be doing right now is allow you to buy virtually yeah. right now. You would buy a hot tub virtually. Yeah. You know, like, how could I? Well, we, we buy cars, automobiles virtually all the time without yeah. trying them first. Yeah. You just, they got to they gotta allow you to feel safe enough to say, I have vetted this thoroughly. I am well informed. And even though I haven't necessarily touched it, I feel like I know it inside and out through yeah. this educational experience that I have gone on this journey, really, with this company. Yeah. Absolutely. Marcus, thank you so very much. Honestly, I am so very grateful for your time and the advice. If you're listening to this now and you haven't read Marcus's book, then obviously I'm going to link up to all of his stuff and everything into the show notes. Do go and check it out because there was so much valuable. I mean, we've literally scraped the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, we've only scratched it. Yeah. We literally have because there's so much good stuff. So do go check it out. But Marcus, thank you so very much. I really appreciate being on. I appreciate it. If you're listening to this, if you use LinkedIn, that's the best place to find me. So check me out on LinkedIn because I post almost every day and, um, and I'd, love to, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, Teresa, thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Thank you. It was such a pleasure to do that interview. He was such a nice guy and so very passionate about 
his sort of message in terms of content marketing. And what I love about the story itself is the industry he was in and the fact that you might look at that industry and think that maybe that wouldn't be the industry where content marketing was so very important. So I love the fact that he really kind of demonstrates that in any industry, any business, this really is super, super key to your business. So I do hope you enjoyed today's interview. Like I said, it was really real pleasure having him on. I will be back next week with a solo episode and have a wonderful week and I will see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Marketing That Converts podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, then please do go check out TeresaHeathWaring.com where you'll find more amazing content to help you grow your business.